Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and moms around the world. Hey, everyone. I just want to touch base for a second. I just went to the hospital twice in 24 hours, and now I get to be on modified bed rest. I am sure that will be lifted. I am 26 weeks pregnant. We are due in July, and I know this baby's coming in July. She's super, super healthy. I'm super, super healthy. I've just been told that I should slow down a lot. Um, We will be reliving the past 24 hours for you uh, in next week's episode. My husband has so many hilarious and bizarre stories from uh, the recent events in our life, and they are so ridiculous, Uh, and, and we'll be sharing all the details then. But today, I'm sharing a conversation that I had with illustrator and author Erin Williams. We talk about grappling with mama identity, being the good enough mother, and what it's like for her to be a sober mom. We also share her work in cancer research. We do the podcast so we can hear so many different voices of motherhood. And I'm really giving myself a pat on the back this week because I asked to interview Erin and her co-author, Jordan. Um, Together, they wrote The Big Fat Activity Book for Pregnant People. Um, I asked to interview them separately because I think the pairing of these two conversations really proves that the best women in your life can be so different from you. And sometimes it's those differences. It's their outside perspective that is exactly what you need. Okay, everybody. Again, baby's healthy. I'm healthy. No worries. I'm going to learn how to slow down. I'll be right back with Erin Williams. Okay, everyone. Today, we are on the phone with Erin Williams. She is a writer, illustrator. She's the Goose Camp founder. So everyone go to goosecamp.co right now. And semi-professional ugly crafter living in New York with her husband and child. Uh, She writes that she moonlights and then in parentheses works full time. Uh, By the way, I love that because I feel like every mother moonlights with like 50 different full time things. Um, (laughs) She moonlights as an oncology data specialist at Flatiron Health. If she had free time, she would use it to watch crime shows and guess who the perp was with stunning accuracy before the reveal. And uh, you are also, Erin, the co-creator of the Big Fat Activity Book for Pregnant People. Listeners, hopefully you already listened to my episode last week with Jordan Reed, who is the other co-creator. In that one, we talk about being recovering actors and how we should allow ourselves to let our stories evolve um, and not just stay stuck in one thing forever if it's not meant to be. And we also talk about not being afraid of sharing your voice just because you're afraid of offending other people and um, how to let yourself off the hook when you do say something wrong. And in that episode, Jordan also shares how she met you, Erin, when you showed up at one of her book signings. So one of our favorite topics on Atomic Moms is how to make mom friends. (laughs) And, uh, And we are so hardcore about mom collaborations. Um, and so I'm wondering, can you just share a little bit about how that went down? 
Yeah. So Jordan gave you the full backstory there. Well, she said that you uh, showed up at a book signing and then I made probably an inappropriate joke about single white female. And she because <laughs> um, I was wondering, like, so did you you just randomly showed up at a book signing? Oh, it's so much worse than that. It's so <laughs> it goes so much. It goes so far beyond that. So was um, I kind of right about single white female? No. Okay. <laughs> um. Oh, it's such a okay. So let's go back a, a decade. Mm-hmm. I basically used to troll Jordan when she was part of Non Society. What is Non Society? It was a website. It was Julia Allison's website that Jordan became a part of, and I kind of used to hate read it. Um, <laughs> I hated all of it. And this sounds like the making of a perfect friendship. Go on. He, no, it, it, um, you know, Jordan used to like post photos of like a lemon gelato in a scooped out lemon <laughs> and things like that. And I just hated her. Um, <laughs> and then when she moved off of that site and onto Ramshackle Glam, I started to follow that, which I also hate read. <laughs> and then she wrote some posts about how she moved to Westchester, like how she bought her first home and she was living in the city and moved out there. And then when I wanted to move to Westchester and buy a house, I actually found it really helpful. And so I emailed her and said, Oh, you know, (laughs) this was really great. So which real estate agent did you use? And we ended up using the same real estate agent. Um, And then when I was touring houses uh, the, our mutual real estate agent said to me, oh, you and Jordan, uh, you know, she assumed we were friends and I told her that I didn't know her. Um, and then she said, well, you guys would be great friends. You should really meet her. And she dragged me to a book signing and it was a horrifying experience for me because, <laughs> and then, and then the word, and then Jordan of course was like, so nice yeah. and effervescent and totally. she's just like most immediately lovely person. Yes. Um, and I was like this like dark demon shadow of Lucifer just coming in. <laughs> and then we went to a, we went to have a drink after with the real estate agent. And Jordan was like telling me a little bit about her and like who her husband is. And like I knew everything. Like I knew everything about her because I'd been reading of hate reading website for years. Um, so it was horribly awkward and really weird. And then we didn't see each other again for months. And then I got an invite from Jordan out of the blue to her son's third birthday party. And I was pregnant by that time. And I ended up going and then we ended up becoming friends and the truth came out. (laughs) Wait, I have one question. The hate reading, how does that happen? Do you just like being energized by reading things that aggravate you? Because I know a lot of people do it. I get too, maybe I have too much repressed anger to do that. Because I feel like I have to start even blocking friends on Facebook. Because I'm just like, these status updates are just pissing me off. I think for me, it was, you know, I was like in my early 20s. And I worked in a cubicle. And I was an alcoholic. And I, I just like, did not really enjoy my life. And So reading people, you know, online who talk about putting lemon gelato and hollowed out lemons just 
is, yeah, it makes you really angry because they are just appear to have their shit together in a way is like, like mythological. Totally. And And so do you think it's a way of doing like some people would respond by being depressed and feeling like I'll never be like that. And then I guess other people can be like, well, I'm too cool for that anyway. Yeah, absolutely. The, The latter. Got it. Yeah. For sure. I feel like in high school, I would have been scared of you a little bit. I feel like I'm probably more on the Jordan spectrum in terms of no, I was, <laughs> sunniness. Nerd, like that's where this comes from. I was, I was just like a really bookish, you know, weird nerd. And so a lot of it comes from feeling insecure about who you are and like other people just know what they're doing and you don't. Well, they seem like they know what they're doing. Right. And also those qualities that you just mentioned are why I enjoy your writing so much and sort of like grappling with insecurity and uh, we'll get more into all of that. But in her blog, Ramshackle Glam, uh, Jordan describes your relationship like this. She says, and I quote, (laughs) above it all, I think what we shared was a profound desire to have someone tell us that the kind of mom we should be was the one we already were. In your friendship with her as moms, like how were you guys able to support each other in that way? How can oh, you man. let another mom know that like what she's doing is totally cool and like and she should chill out about it and not like how can we be better mom friends basically? Yeah, that's that's a really good question and the truth is that I really in a lot of ways learned how to be a mom from Jordan. She had her second when I was very pregnant with Lucy. And I really watched her with her kids. And I didn't know a lot of, I hadn't made my new mom friends yet. The thing where you like desperately go with your two month old to story time at the library because you don't know anyone. Yep. And just like beg people for their phone number and hope it's not too weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, I really watched Jordan and she has such a great attitude about it. She, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. She's just, she's really, she has a, a really relaxed attitude about it in a way that's so refreshing. She just owns up to her mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, she just is very human and, you know, kids are just little Tasmanian devils of just insanity. And I feel like there's so much out there that's just like, oh, here's a picture of me and my baby who's napping quietly. And this is the best moment of my life. This Mm -hmm. like baby napping on me. And the reality is you're like, I can't reach the remote. I know. And I have to pee and the dog has to go out. And now I hate my dog that I used to love because he's asking for something. Exactly. And like that, those were the feelings that Jordan immediately normalized for me. I saw her grapple with trying to work and do a million things and rein her kids in and rein her husband in and, you know, do it without the bullshit and tense of like, I'm enjoying this so much right now, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which, um, it, it just was really a great example for me because it made me feel like I could still be myself. Yeah. And, And one way that you are being yourself And also where you just sort of have figured out what works in your life is uh, I read that you have ditched 
your toddler's dinner? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've been struggling a lot lately with the mama identity. Mm -hmm. I was home with my daughter for 10 months and then I put her in daycare part-time and worked part-time. And then I ended up putting her in daycare full-time when we wrote the book. And now I work full-time, like, you know, commuting to the city five days a week on top of all the other stuff I'm doing. And it took me 10 months to realize that I did not want to stay at home. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't for me. And I really didn't enjoy it. And it it took me a, a really long time to accept that. I'm not cut out for that. And I'm I'm like slowly chipping away at all of those things where it's like, I really like going to work every day. And I, I really like time that I have alone without my child where I can like read a book. Um, because it feels like you're not supposed to like those things and you're supposed to, you know, miss your kid all day. That's like, you know, your heart hurts or something because like you're at work, but I, I love going to work. Um, I don't know what I would do if I couldn't go to work every day now. And yeah. And there, and so like dinner is like one of those things, like my child, like I get home from work now and you know, we're all tired. I get up at five in the morning and go to work so I can get home in time to pick her up. And I'm tired and she's tired. And like, literally the only thing she wants is a still frozen waffle. Yes. That's our favorite thing. And you know what? I got to tell you, I felt a little guilty because whenever I was really stressed out in my first pregnancy, this is embarrassing to admit. I, when I was pregnant, I would eat waffles still frozen. (laughs) 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 I was so tired and lazy. And now my daughter it's like a constant argument. And I'm like, oh my God, it was almost like when she was in my belly, like she knew that I was doing this embarrassing thing. That's hilarious. So Lucy also likes frozen waffles. Yeah. It's it's all she wants. At the end of the day, all she wants is a frozen waffle. Like I'll I'll say you want pasta. Do you want, and she doesn't, all she wants is a frozen waffle. So like literally every night for dinner, she can have a frozen. I do not care. Like I, I am in well, this, my friend Kelly, who's an art therapist, told me like that you're good enough. You can just be a good enough mother. Yes. That's what I ascribe to now. Well, plus you mentioned in the blog, just for any mother who's freaking out about malnutrition, your daughter <laughs> eats all day long and you list right. all the foods she's eating at daycare and for breakfast and adopt. We don't need to all do these same regimented things because like, diff- you know, kids want to eat at different times. Yeah. And my other technique for warding off the guilt is that I buy these like organic Vans power waffles, which have a lot of protein in them. And sometimes I'll slip in a couple of frozen peas and we just Ooh. call that a day. We call that dinner almost every day. Well, it, it's especially going to be great in the summer. It's yeah. a nice cool There's, off. And, you know, it was nice. good for teething. Um, and in, in that blog post, I want to share this quote because I love it so much. You, you write, like every other mother I know, I decided when my baby was a baby that she would eat what I eat, and that I wouldn't be one of those mothers who cooks 15 separate dinners at night. I realize now that this is the language of a presumptuous asshole who has never experienced Chobani as a hair mask. (laughs) So great. And it's so true. It's like, what are all of these crazy things, these ideas that we have about like how we're supposed to parent versus what does our child actually need? And what do we need to stay sane and like enjoying the experience? 
Right. And so like the thing that's most important is that I come home from work and get an hour with her where we're not trying to like kill each other. Right. And we're just sort of we're not going angry through. about cooking and then her not wanting to right. eat it. Yeah. It's just better this way. And and you just can't do everything in that little stressful amount of time. You have to give up your expectations a little bit, you know? So what does it mean to be an oncology data specialist? I work for a really cool cancer startup called Flatiron Health. And I work with oncology data, meaning a giant mass of it. It's sort of hard to explain. Let me think about this. I should have had like an elevator pitch for you or something. Well, yeah, maybe I should have sent you questions in advance, but I prefer to just make my guests really uncomfortable Right. And spur, right. you know, spur right. the moment. <laughs> Just so that like tonight you can toss and turn and be like, why didn't I answer it this way? I'm curious about it because do you, how often are you interacting with patients, I guess? Before I gave birth, I, I worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Wow. And I helped coordinate clinical trials there in bone marrow transplant. So patients with acute leukemia mostly and myelodysplastic syndrome. So I worked in clinic at a different site. For Memorial Sloan Kettering. And so I worked with patients who had lung and ovarian and breast and different different types of cancer there. I don't see patients anymore. What I do now is try to organize a big mess of data into something that we can learn from. The data that we have on cancer patients now mainly comes from the 3% of patients who are on clinical trials. And what my company wants to do, one of the things that we're doing is um, looking at data from the other 97% and trying to learn about those patients um, and their experience so that we can further accelerate research and improve care for everyone. Are you ever afraid of, uh, like when people go to med school and then they think they have everything, like do you walk around afraid that you have cancer now? All the time. Do yes. you really? Okay. Of course. I would imagine that dealing with this data every day, you you see how many how many people's lives are touched by cancer and all its variations and how everyone is a different age and it doesn't really matter what you eat um, or how much yoga you do, that it can still hit you hard. And um, And I'm just curious how you leave that work at work. Or are you crazy at home about like, I got really weird about like, what are the off gases of my daughter's bookcase? <laughs> you know, that stuff. You know, when I, when I first started doing this kind of work, it was really hard uh, emotionally. It was emotionally devastating to go into work every day. I would come in in the morning and I would get, have email notifications about who died in the night, um, which is like the worst thing that you could walk into in the morning, every morning, you know, mm -hmm. but you're there and you're making a difference. I just want to be able to, to give something back every day in a meaningful way. And I feel like I get to do that now and it's just worth it. It's just hard, but it's worth it. How has it influenced your outlook on life as a parent? <sighs> um, I mean, it must be pretty cool to be able to go home to Lucy and be like, Hey, I made a difference today. Yeah. You know what? It, it's an interesting question. I, I used to not really be that scared of dying, but now that I'm a parent, I'm terrified of it. Yeah, I hear um, that so often. Like, yeah, and I was never scared of being on a plane. And now if I'm not with 
Sabrina, I mean, I, and I've heard a lot of other mom friends share that as well. Yeah. It's like the, the need to stay alive feels so much stronger. Yeah, it's scary to think about missing some, some part of them, you know? Mm-hmm. So with your writing, I'm wondering, do you carve out time to do it? Or do you just sit down when the muse shows up? Like, how do you have time to have, you know, your full-time job plus taking care of Lucy plus, you know, illustrating um, plus running your company with Jordan? Um, how do you also have time to write? I got I, I got an ulcer four months ago. Let's just start by saying that. Well, that makes me feel better because I'm like, how do you people get all this done? I know. Um, the answer is that at your own expense. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I Lucy's in full time daycare five days a week. Um, I try to get a babysitter as often as I can. I have I have been writing more about cancer and less about parenting lately because I can figure out how to do that at work. So I still get to write and have that time because it's it's important to me while I have things like childcare. Mm-hmm. And then I write on my commute. I have a 45-minute train ride twice a day, which is when I read and write. So it involves just not having any downtime. Right. I, I just outsource and I just don't have downtime. I mean, it's mm-hmm. at, at my own expense. But I have to choose like what are the most important things. And, and writing is really important to me. You have such a rich emotional life in your writing. And I, I'm wondering, was that a coping mechanism for you growing up? Because I want to touch I want to touch on your being a sober mom and, and you write about, you know, how alcohol was a way of not feeling. I'm just a really sensitive person and alcohol definitely took me out of that. Mm-hmm. Um because it it's you know, numbs you and Oh my god, I swear two drinks tipsy and I feel like I'm a movie star. And I hit, like, I'm so, I feel like everything I'm saying is awesome. And it's like all the confidence that I wish I just had inherently. Right. Yeah. I, you don't have to tell me, like, alcohol is the love of my life, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So when I got sober, which is five and a half years ago now, I think, I had to, like, figure out how to deal with this onslaught of emotion. that all of a sudden becomes very apparent when you stop drinking. And you don't have any coping mechanism. Like, what do you do? When I first got sober, I felt like I was 13 years old. You know, they say in the program I'm in that you start where you, you you pick up where you left off at the emotional age where you started drinking. So I, I felt like I was 14 and I had to learn, I mean, really basic things. Like I didn't know how to talk to people socially without drinking. I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't go to the movies sober. I didn't do anything in my life sober. Um, at that point, I was, wasn't even sober at work. So it was, it, you know, it, it took a while. But writing for me now is, is definitely how I process the onslaught of feelings. <laughs> I totally feel you. Um, I am super sensitive as well. And for me, that just turns into complete and utter 
I don't know, neurotic crazy pants, you know, like tossing and turning in the middle of the night and having a ton of anxiety. And I, uh, it's like I would go through stages where I feel so much better and things that would really work for me. Um, like I realized I was never breathing ever. Mm-hmm. Like just totally, what are the different ways that I try to uh, shut off my body, you know, like, because I don't, because I wouldn't want to feel because feelings felt too intense. And that probably goes back to childhood or whatever. And um, luckily with acting, you're required to learn how to breathe. And then all of a sudden these feelings would come up because I was just because I was breathing. Like you can just start crying from breathing and you realize like, oh my God, I I've cut myself off emotionally just to get through things. And like being a recovering perfectionist, just sort of the waves, right? It's like uh, this two years of this podcast, there have been periods where I have had so much less anxiety and I think I've figured it out. And then pregnancy hormones kick in and um, big life events happen and then all of a sudden I'm like tweaked out again and trying to realize that it's like, okay, this is like a constant process probably for the rest of my life. And um, it's kind of exciting though to be like, oh no, I, I'm going to choose to be alive. Um, I'm mm-hmm. going to choose to feel everything. I'm going to choose to um, be present for my daughter and and not bury myself in my coping mechanisms, which would probably be work um, and projects and stuff like that. What is the biggest lesson you learned in recovery, do you think? That's a really good way of putting that, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm sure I'll have an anxiety attack about sharing that later. I'm kidding. Same. (laughs) So what's the biggest lesson you learned in recovery, do you think? I mean, just one of them. I don't mean to put you on the spot like that, like, what's the biggest thing? Because this is forever. But, like, what's one thing that you learned that, you know, other listeners would, you know, benefit from hearing? One of my favorite, there's a lot of uh, slogans in the program that I'm in. And one of them is, they're, they're all just really simple. But um, I, I love the idea of take it a day at a time, mm-hmm. um, which is is a really simple idea, but it's really easy, I think, for people like you and me or people who are pregnant or have kids to take things outside of the present day and worry and obsess about the future and what's going to happen in a day and a week and a year. And, you know, when my child's Harvard application is rejected. <laughs> right. Um, and it it's too hard to live that way. It, it's, I don't know, psychologically damaging. <laughs> it's like, if you can just do the things that you have to do today, mm-hmm. then, then you're good. You know, like I, that's how I don't drink. You know, I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to have a drink in five years or tomorrow. All I have to do is figure out a way to not drink today. Yes. And, and like the idea that this moment right now, everything is okay. So like right yeah. now we're talking and like nothing in my little tiny world right here needs to be any different. Right. Exactly. And I don't need to think about the oh, listeners. We're moving, by the way, everyone. 
<laughs> like, I don't need to think about all the boxes that are going to meet me in the house when I go back inside. Like right now, in this moment, we're having this phone call and all is good. Bird by bird, like step by step, just take it one moment at a time. And that's how our children yeah. take it, right? So that's uh, especially our really little ones. They are moment by moment. Yeah. And you know what? If you are like a terrible f- up of a parent today, you get to start over tomorrow. You yes. Know? yes. <laughs> like you, if your kid eats a frozen waffle for dinner tonight, maybe tomorrow you can make spaghetti, you know, right. but if you don't, it's okay too. <laughs> it's okay. And, uh, I think I find that sleep fixes most things. <laughs> Yeah, If I can just get one night of sleep, um, everything's okay. In this mom culture these days, there's like so much emphasis on drinking. I feel like it's all about rosé. Oh, I know. So how do you handle that? Oh, I just hate it. It's so (laughs) insulting. (laughs) Like the the mommy needs her wine thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess I'm just jealous. I'm probably just jealous. Because I don't have like a turn off switch anymore, you know? Oh, that's such a good way to put it. Yeah. You know, I felt that way too with just having an infant. The idea that I'm supposed to just be there and be present and like I can't numb myself out or turn a switch off with like it was I'm too much of a live wire to be that present for that many hours a day. I totally, totally. And so what I do now, and this is, silly, but it works for me is I've developed a really expensive skincare habit and I'll, <laughs> I love put on, it. I'll put on like a, like a mask and I'll watch an episode of Real Housewives, mm-hmm. preferably New York on my computer in bed for, and for that like hour, my brain is shut down. That sounds like really, really important self-care to me. Yeah, I try to do that a couple of times a week because, you know, I used to watch TV every day and I, I honestly don't have time anymore, which is no. really, unfortunate. but I, but I carve it out here and there and it, I, I have my little thing that I do and it, it matters. I've just started watching Big Little Lies and I watch it on my iPad on the elliptical and mm. it makes me want to move to Northern California. <sighs> Anyway, uh, I haven't seen that. Well, and then everyone's talking about the finale, which is why I started watching it. And now I'm afraid I won't finish it in time before it gets spoiled um, because mm-hmm. there's a murder, but I don't know who was <laughs> murdered. <laughs> but you would probably know within the pilot because from your bio, it sounds like uh, guessing who the perp was with stunning accuracy before the reveal is your specialty. I know you probably have to get back to your life. Um, what's your favorite page from? your book, The Big Fat Activity Book for Pregnant People. Yeah, I really like the affirmations on page 133. Mm -hmm. I'm going to turn to them now. And the little essay that accompanies it. Yes. Uh, When I had a newborn, I worried all the time. I thought I was doing everything wrong. I had a horrible, I had a a 50-hour labor followed by an emergency C-section, and then I had all kinds of problems, breastfeeding. And I ended up um, just like pumping every two hours for two months and then put my daughter on formula. I just like, I felt like I did everything wrong. And so I really like this page. Will you share your favorite little paragraph from it? Will you read it? 
Whatever you feel about this time in your life, it's okay. You are okay. You are in the middle of a massive life upheaval. So remember to take care of yourself. Eat something. Rest a little when you can. Forgive yourself. Ask for help if you need it. Whether that means talking to a therapist or paying someone to do your laundry. Ask for meals. Ask for time to sleep. Ask for people to come over or ask for them to leave. You're a mom now. You're doing the best you can. And your best is everything it needs to be. Chills. Okay, everybody, pick up this book, The Big Fat Activity Book for Pregnant People. Uh, Also, check out goosecamp.co and subscribe and leave a written review on itunes.com backslash atomic moms. Please share our podcast with mom friends. Y'all know me. This is like totally grassroots. Uh, And if you look at the iTunes Kids and Family chart, it's like atomic moms and then a bunch of like corporate sponsored podcasts. You know, it's like these big companies that run these podcasts. And then there's atomic moms. So please support us and uh, make a new mom friend on the playground and be like, hey, there's a podcast called Atomic Moms. It's a great icebreaker. I promise. Erin, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Until next week, everyone, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms.